You're listening to another episode of the Get The Shot podcast. Don't forget you can follow us on social media, on Instagram at Get The Shot podcast and on Twitter at GTS underscore podcast. Now, without further ado, on with the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of Get The Shot podcast. I am Tom Bartley. Uh, welcome to all of our regular listeners. Uh, I'm John Willis <laughs> at JRE Willis. Billy at BFHUK. And Josh Deakin at Mr. Josh Deakin. Fantastic. So uh, this is one of our Meet the Creator episodes. Um, we're really, really privileged today to have uh, Tom Bartley joining us. So welcome, Tom. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Uh, took 21 episodes, but got here in the end, so that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not bitter. It's not bitter. <laughs> it's, got, it's, got, it's got to be something special, not immediately. Because if you're on the first episode, people are going to forget you immediately. <laughs> there we go. I'll take that. Yeah, we waited till we'd built a listener base. That's what it was. Yeah. Cool. So that's cool. So I suppose to start off with, for those of the people that are listening who have never heard of you, I'm sure there's a tiny minority of the world. Um, who are you? What do you do? And what are your handles on social media? Cool. So as I said, my name's Tom Bartley. I am a full-time professional photographer and videographer, such filmmaker, but let's say videographer because it sounds less pretentious. Um, I have two different identities as a, as a camera person. One is Bartley photo so on Instagram that's at Bartley.photo and that is my fashion slash slash sexy lady kind of photography <laughs> and my other one is at Tom Bartley but that's spelled T-H-O-M-B-A-R-T-L-E-Y and that's my commercial events kind of more professional side of my photography and film um, yeah so that's that's what I do there's two different parts of me that create the whole you, you are three people in one well, two <laughs> plus all yeah plus my non-photography personality i don't know i might, I might have many personalities yeah i'm sure you sure you got was it thomas the dank engine right yeah well? thomas, the dank, <laughs> thomas the dank engine is my personal instagram so if you want to see photos of me just holding fucking weird shit then you can follow that if you want, but <laughs> it's not too exciting uh, but yeah use the name i gotta give it to you there <laughs> okay um so i suppose where did where did your photography journey begin then tom Take us down memory lane. Yeah, so, I mean, properly, I mean, you know, I've been playing around the camera since I was a little kid, but only like anyone else will, you know, me on holiday or whatever. Um, my first DSLR, so the first time I bought a camera with the intention to, like, you know, take proper photographs, was back in 2011 um, because I was going traveling around the world doing, like, you know, classic backpack, back, backpacker trip. So I was thinking, well, I need a proper camera to take on holiday. And I remember I bought my first DSLR, which was a Nikon D5000 at the time. With the kit lens and i remember when it came and there wasn't a lens attached to the camera i was like where's the lens like i didn't even realize that it was an interchangeable lens camera like that's how little i knew about photography at that point i bought a camera i was like why is it not got a lens attached um so yeah that was nine years ago and i bought that um because of, well, i'm going on holiday and i went on holiday and took some photos of when i was traveling and very quickly learned that i enjoyed taking photographs of people more than anything else really um, so when i came back from traveling i had a few friends who were also into photography we were all beginners and we made a little club and every weekend we'd go we'd go a different place you know to take photographs so we'd go to like Cosford Air Museum or Ironbridge or something and they would always be taking photographs of like the landscapes and I would always be taking photographs of like the people like and I just like very quickly learned that I was pretty much exclusively interested in photographing human beings as opposed to other things although I do shoot other things but it's definitely focused on people 
So uh, essentially you found out what was the key thing that you enjoy. Obviously you've got your day job of photography, but then the thing that you put your passion and I guess the hobby sort of into, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, back then it wasn't my job, you know, back then it was just something I did for fun. And I think most mm. people, very few photographers like everything equally, you know, most people, they start out like, with a camera and they just photograph things and then they find themselves going down a certain route. Like, some people like photographing cars, some people like photographing, you know, people or landscapes and, I just enjoy photographing people. Even when I'm shooting landscapes, I incorporate human beings into those landscapes. It's just, you know, what I find it's an addictive thing to keep doing yeah. to like so suppose, measure up the difference. So I suppose if we uh, if we kind of go down that route of obviously you just talked about the fact that it wasn't your job really to start with. So what no. what did you do prior to photography? I mean, so I went, you know, I went to university. I studied, I got a law degree, and then I worked for the job centre for a bit, and then I went travelling. And then I worked in a social innovation lab for a housing association, creating like services and stuff. And then I worked for a charity. And, and then my last, my last full-time job before I became a photographer, I worked for Google, um, doing work for Google as a digital consultant. And then around five years ago, I left Google and became a photographer. But it wasn't like, I mean, this is almost like a bit of advice I give to people who want to become photographers. It wasn't like one day I was like, right, I'm quitting my job and I'm starting photography. It was a slow overlap. So I was getting hired to do photography jobs and it got to the point where I was getting hired so often it made sense to quit my job and just do photography full time. Um, so, yeah, so I've been a full time freelance photographer for five years, but I've been making money doing photography for, for longer than that. I guess when you when you put it like that, that kind of progression from the, the job that you've done for, for quite a few years or a few years to something that you didn't picture was something, I guess, really tangible, like we spoke in the podcast before. Um, and, and when it became that thing, I guess like that whole sort of experience and feeling as you transitioned was something that's very you know unique that you look back on I guess from time to time right yeah I had no intention of ever being a photographer like I didn't even buy yeah. I didn't even buy a camera till I was 23 you know what I mean like I, I like literally had no interest in photography whatsoever like you know like I just bought a camera because I thought I had to buy a camera because I was going on holiday and then eventually I just I, I accidentally became a professional photographer it was never you know it's not like I sat down and had a business plan it just I've just been you know yeah, it's like it's interesting. So I speak to a lot of people. I mean, I, I can't remember how old you guys are, but who are like literally younger than I am when I even picked up a camera for the first time. You know, I speak to, mm. like, I speak to like 20, 21 year olds who are worried that they're like behind and they're not going to catch up. And I was like, mate, I didn't even pick up a camera until I was 23. And I think one of the reasons I've done okay as a professional photographer is that I didn't try and like turn into a pro as soon as possible. I just did it and I got good because I wanted to be good because I cared about photography. And then I got jobs as opposed to trying to like force people to give me jobs when I've only got six months experience. And then I would have done a bad job and then I would have had a bad reputation and it would have all just fallen apart. To me, it was very, yeah. organic. It was very organic the way that it grew, you know. Um, and I think that's, that's good. Yeah, you like you, you just you just rolled the dice, and if if something happened that took you further to your I guess to, to being in that position, then yes, if it took you back, then you just learnt from that mistake and you just took it along and just kept on forging that path essentially, right? Yeah, like nowadays I'm much more focused in terms of running the business, and I actually think about how I want to grow the business. Like it's a you know it's deliberate steps I want to take. But for the first couple mm. of years of being a photographer, it was just oh, can you hire this? Can you come shoot this job for this much money? And I'll just I'll just do it, and I'd learn that way. And then eventually, when it became my job, you know, I had to think a little bit more about it. Mm. You know what I really liked hearing you say then that you wasn't aiming to be a pro like no. the whole time, and I, I think that's something that I've maybe got entangled into how like. I've been told by people that I'm not a pro, which makes me feel like I want yeah. to be a pro. Spend all that doing it. And obviously, um, with a bit of time to think, I'm kind of like, well, do I even, like, ever become so entangled in photography that I'm like, do I even like it? Like, yeah, do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, is it even, you even feel like you're in a box. anymore? Is it like yeah. something 
Is it something I'm just trying yeah. to do to show everyone else? I mean, like, who, but I liked how you said that, you know, you weren't aiming to be a Yeah, bird. like, who cares, really, like, what your title is, you know? Like, people get really yeah. hooked up on this, and there's a lot of ego in the photography world, and people just mm. want to call themselves pros because it, they make it, you know, I know people who, like, literally earn, like, less than £5,000 a year who call themselves pros. It's just ridiculous. Like, at the end of the day, you are a professional photographer because you earn your income from photography through your, through your day job, which is photography, but also what you do around the yeah. outside of that. But I know professional mm. photographers who are absolutely terrible at photography. <laughs> I know amateurs who are amazing and make basically no money. Like that, ter- that terminology <laughs> is not any indication of skill level. Like it's, it's yeah. feels nice though when someone goes, "You're a pro." Like, yeah, oh, yeah it, it, okay. is a, it is very much an ego boosting thing, isn't it? Essentially. And I'm not one in the field that I want to be in. So like, I, I'm not like a like I love doing fashion photography, mm. but I'm not a pro in fashion yeah. photography. I'm just some mm. with with a weird yeah, I mean, it's not really it's not really the case of the pro the pro t- i guess the terminology behind being a pro is very much modeled water it's it, there's no there's no real sort of line of boundary in in everyone's general speed but when you're earning as you say bartley from everything specifically in your business you could you have a bit more credibility in the words that you're saying you're not just saying it because you think you are you know you are at the same time right mm. I mean, yeah, in terms of terminology, I don't know why it should be complicated. It's like if you earn 90% mm. plus of your money from photography, you're a professional. If you earn 30, yeah. 30% plus, you're a semi-professional. And if you don't, you're not. Like, it's not, it's not, who cares? Like, it's not, like, yeah, there's a lot to say. There's, the, the one thing that annoys me about the photography world is the amount of ego. And I'm not, I, I fall foul of this as well. I've got an ego. But, like, it's a lot of, a lot of people trying to pretend what they're not, and it still thinks. It's not a race to the top, is it? It's, it, should, it should be a, a community kind of thing. It, like, everyone understanding that everyone is different for different photography like there's product photographers out there it's good to have different niches in photography but i think the idea of calling yourself these things is way over proportion um if if a, if a, if a credible source like a magazine calls you a professional photographer do you then call yourself a professional professional just photographer? Do it, just, just do what you want it just really doesn't matter like who cares like, so like just just make good photos and if you make money cool Anyway, uh, we've obviously outlined some key questions that we want to put to you um, individually. Uh, So I think what we'll do is we'll take uh, one per person as we go through. We'll start doing by doing a first round. So if I start off with my first one, um, we know that you're a long time listener of the podcast um, and we know that you love (laughs) a little little controversial episode. Uh, So episode nine, we talked about whether we thought the digital SLR was dead and... uh, me and you have had discussions previously off podcast uh, about digital SRs and stuff. Mm-hmm. But for the, the benefit of the listeners um, and uh, for these two, uh, maybe talk about the the fact that, first of all, why you switched to mirrorless from uh, your digital SR, but also where you think the industry might be tech-wise in sort of three to five years. Yeah, so to break that down, so the reason I switched originally, I was using Nikon um, full-frame DSLRs. The reason I switched is because I started getting paid to do a lot more film work, a lot more videography, and I didn't want to do, uh, I didn't want two cameras. So I wanted a camera that could handle high quality photography and high quality film. And at the time, four years ago, and still to this day, if you're going to buy one camera, but you want to do photography and film, you're going to go, you're going to go Sony, basically. Um, you know, mirrorless. So that's why I switched to the A7R two originally, uh, because I wanted to do film. Uh, and I've, uh, yeah, I've never looked back. Like, if I hold the DSLR now, I feel like I'm holding ancient technology. I just feel so old to me that i can't like it's like it's almost like how did i even use this um mm-hmm. is the dslr dead like no like there's obviously still 
like millions of people using DSLRs and they're still absolute quality. Like if you're using a Nikon D810 or whatever, it has the same sensor as an A7R2 or whatever. But the reason it's, it's dying because basically you can say that you prefer your DSLR or you prefer mirrorless and that's the fine opinion to have. You can have that opinion. But objectively mm. right now, all of the R&D and the research budget of these camera companies is going to mirrorless technology and not DSLR. So if you're buying into DSLRs at this point, you're buying into a dying system that's not going to be supported in a few years' time. So yeah. that's why I wouldn't recommend anybody goes out and buys a DSLR nowadays because all of the lens money, all, all that stuff that they're doing, all that new products they're created are being created for, for, for mirrorless, at least at the, the pro level. So, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and there's very few things I can think of that I, that I miss on DSLR. Literally two, like, like the slightly better menu system and um, having to clean my sensor less. Like, that's the two things that drive me mad with um, DSLR, um, mirrorless cameras. Mirrorless. Yeah. And in terms of where it's going to be five years' time, I think what we're going to see is mirrorless will be by far, like, the dominant, um, you know, I don't think you'll be able to buy a camera that's a, that's a DSLR in five years' time. But where I think the real innovation will come from is when we see the kind of is, is the software. So it's the computational photography that we currently see in phones today will bring itself over to pro level cameras. And then that's really exciting because a lot of people ask me, you know, a lot of beginners to say, like, oh, I want, I want to buy a camera, I want to buy my first camera for, for holidays or whatever, what should I buy? And I'm like, just use your iPhone, you know, just use your Pixel because yeah. if you're not going to go onto your computer, get into Lightroom and learn about like editing highlights and RAWs and stuff, like your camera is going to do a better job of computationally taking that photograph than you are going to do. So, but once you once we bring that technology and it will come over to, to pro level cameras, that's, I think, will be the biggest change in five ish years' time. Um, yeah, so DSLR have gone, and the software behind the, um, you know, the photo being improved in in pro cameras, and then you have another argument again. I think we're saying oh, it's taking all the skill away. The same way you had that argument, you know, when DSLRs first came, people were like, oh, it's not it's, it's not skillful anymore because it's not a film. Like, who cares? Like, if you take a good photo, then I'm happy. I always want cameras to improve. I don't want things to be artificially difficult just so people can pretend, you know, like oh. You know, it's, it's people who are like have a um, self-confidence issue about their photography skill who worry about this kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, they worry about like, oh my god, all the normal people are going to be able to take photos as good as me. And I'm like, it doesn't matter. No normal person taking a photo as good as me. It doesn't matter what you've got. <laughs> yeah. it doesn't matter about what camera you have. You could do it on your. I've seen some sick photos taken on an iPhone. Not not saying it's Absolutely. good. Point yeah, of view. Like, that's fine. Okay, to do. My ability as a photographer comes uh, from my ability as a photographer, not from what camera I'm using. That helps. I think it's uh, <laughs> it's your ability to see what you want to take a photo of and yeah, it's, that, yeah, it's, it's understanding composition and how to take a good photograph. Like, like, like no camera is going to tell you how to frame a photograph. Like, you know, I never say never, but like, it's not. You know what I mean? You can imp- you can improve you can improve a camera's performance, but it won't make you take. It won't help point the camera for you. You're a shit photographer. You're a shit photographer. Yeah, Sorry. You can't fight facts. I mean, if if you if you don't put enough effort into doing your camera work, then what's the point? Yeah, it's it's a case of like if you're gonna be if you want to be good at football, you ain't just gonna you know just sit at the wayside. You're gonna put the effort in. You're gonna maybe not so much buy the gear because the gear comes later. Really, it's you gotta have that raw good kick if you're gonna have a go at being a good you know football. Yeah. Yeah. I think I do think photography is one of those. Uh art forms that with practice and reviewing work that you take you can get better whereas some career paths uh you know like sports people if you're not naturally gifted 
Modeling. Modeling is yeah. the best example of this. That's why I always feel bad for models because like you can you can work hard on becoming better at posing and improving your communication skills and stuff. But if you haven't got it, you haven't got it. Like there's just no there's just no two ways yeah. around it. And you're saying the same with sports and things like that. So yeah, and obviously with photography, some people find it really easy and they get better faster. But you know, it is you put you put the time and effort in and you'll get better. It's, uh, whereas a lot of fantastic you've got no chance. So. Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Uh, Josh, do you want to lead with your first question? So uh, I know I know that we know the answer to this. Obviously, the same thing with what John was just saying himself, which is um, how do you manage your Instagram accounts as you, you've got a few? And obviously, you keep each one not linked to the other for many different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, as you do, you do a shoot as a photographer for a living. You shoot as a photographer as a living, uh, but you also treasure it as a hobby for one for better word. Um, how do you, I guess, in general, kind of, how do you see it? Because obviously you've, you've said it to us all in, you know, different instances. Like I, I, me and you have obviously gone from a shoot together before uh, group for photography and we just talked about it and you've just, I guess, gone, I guess off the handle of like what you, you yeah. do essentially. Yeah. So up until around two, three years ago, I was just Tom Bartley. I, I, I just did everything under that name. And that became complicated because I obviously spend half of my time photographing girls in their pants and half my time <laughs> going to schools and shooting, shooting schools, do you know what I mean? Like, or whatever, like I do commercial work. So it didn't make sense. I couldn't have, I used to just have a Bartley, you know, it used to be TomBartley.com, but it used to be what was Bartley.photo is now. Um, mm. I didn't have like a commercial point. So a couple of years ago, I separated the brands, basically, and I created Bartley.photo, uh, which is my, you know, fashion and, and, you know, that kind of work. And Tom Bartley, which is my commercial work. Um, so it's two different Instagram accounts, two different websites, two different identities. And for a lot of people, like in, in this world, will only ever know me as Bartley. They won't even know anything that I do anything apart from photograph girls in their underwear or, or do fashion. And then in another world, loads of people who've just been hiring to shoot events for the past five years wouldn't even know that I photographed girls in their underwear. Do you know what I mean? So, and that's a, that's a purposeful yeah. thing because they're two different identities that don't really complement. Yeah. So there is some overlap though. So if you go to TomBartley.com or you go to my Tom Bartley Instagram, you'll see fashion photos on there. They'll just be not be like people in their underwear. Um, yeah. So yeah, I keep those two separate, and that's it's purely a, a, you know a business decision. It's made a big difference. Um, in, in a way, you sort of treat it, I guess, in a way like a sort of like you in different in different parallel versions of what you do generally. Essentially, it's like you've got your hobby, you've got your social yeah. life with your friends and your family, and then you've got the commercial side, which yeah, they all they all they, like you say they overlap, whether that's intentional or unintentional. Yeah, like it depends on then you, how you communicate that across to, to the different audiences that you are projecting to essentially. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call Bartley Photo a hobby. Like it's, it's half a hobby, you know, it's, you okay. know, I do make money from it. I say I was, I, I broke this down. So in episode where you talk about fake profession, someone, uh, John mentioned, I made 99% of my money from event photography. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, Wait a sec, I want to find this out. So I went to my accounts because it's the end of the tax year. And I looked and last year I made 41% of my money on commercial photography. 30%, 30% on event photography, 21% on film, and 8% on Bartley.photo. So, like, wow. crazy. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I, can, I can break it down by event. And obviously, commercial and event kind of overlaps, as does film. Like, it's all kind of commercial. So when I say commercial, I mean, like, things for advertising and print, you know, that kind of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know. And, and that overlap is very much generalised, yeah. yeah. So, so I suppose it's, it's still very much sort of 92% of your work is professional commercial commercial yeah. work and eight yeah. percent is more the yeah. uh fashion but yeah as I, as I said to you earlier like my biggest job this year for one the most money i got yeah. paid for one day this year was a photo shoot that came completely through photo. 
So, yeah, like, I mean. yeah. so that, like that eight percent of that is, is nearly all one job. <laughs> if you know what I mean? Because I got paid so much money for that one job. But yeah, um, but yeah, keep them separate because it, it's, it's purely business business mode. In a way, I'd like to be well. In a way, I'd like to have my Instagram and be able to share like a landscape photo and a photo I did at an event and then a picture of a girl in a underwear. And that would be cool because that's the whole part of me. But at the mm. same time, A, I can't do that because it's bad for business. And B, it's also bad for Instagram because you know how Instagram works. Like you need to be yeah. focused in on one area. Like it's the same way if I mm. post a photo of a man, it gets like literally like 20% of the engagement as a photo of a, of a woman does. Um, as we know from your photo last night. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, mm. I mean, I wish it wasn't like that, but that is the reality of anything to do with media. Like if you've got, I if, wish you could yeah. well, it's like people who've got YouTube channels, they're in the same situation where like if they just do, a, if they have a YouTube channel on Minecraft and it's been Minecraft forever and then all of a sudden they play another game, it, it, you, they get punished for doing that, you know. What I found quite funny, I've seen a lot of YouTubers who do stuff that's like specific types of games like Fortnite or Minecraft or Call of Duty Warzone, and then they'll go, Right, this episode is sponsored by Ray Shadow Legends. Yeah. That's their one little into that video. It's like yeah. they don't gel, like stuff like that. I mean, I know it's a game still, but like you, no. you, the idea is that you don't want you yeah. don't want that sort of crossover where it's uh, completely void of any. Uh, there's no, there's no interaction yeah. that makes sense. And then obviously you're trying to train up your, your algorithm on your different accounts to react the way you want them to react, which is no easy feat because Instagram is just... A, I mean, I don't even bother. Mess. I don't even bother with Instagram now. I don't even care. I don't even put hashtags on it and tag people. I've just given up. Like, I, don't, I, I like, think hashtags don't work no more. It's a waste to be of time. I mean, the one thing I'd say is from a business perspective, being hyper-focused in different business mm. identities on what you do is valuable. So if I was going to go become a wedding photographer, for example, that'd be, that'd be Bartley Doll Wedding. Do you know what I mean? Like, that'd be something, it, I'd separate it again. Because you've got to think about what your clients are looking for, like what is, what, yeah. what is relevant to them. So that's why when you go onto TomBartley.com, you do see fashion photos. Because I do get clients who hire me to go take photographs of them in their office, you know, like staff portraits. But they look at my fashion work and they go, oh, there's a guy who can take a photo of a human being. Do you know what I mean? So it's still, they might not be a 20-year-old model. They can, if they mm. see that work, it looks impressive. It looks high-end. Do you know what I mean? And they think, ooh, like, I'm going to be a model for the day. So there is, there is crossover, traits. but it's, 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 it's thinking about who your audience is and what you want to achieve with that audience and then catering that content to maximize your impact in that field. That's, that's a really a really impactful way of explaining your business and I guess your, over, your overall sort of uh, consensus that you've put across. I think I think there's out of quite a lot of different people that you see online. I think your your overall aspect of everything that you've just talked about is is very. I don't want to sound corny and say influential, but I actually genuinely think that you, you've you've got a lot of core knowledge that runs from you when you talk about it, and I think that a lot of people could learn a lot from that. Definitely. I mean, hopefully, but I've, yeah, I've, I've ran a photographer. <laughs> I've, ran, I've been a freelance full-time photographer for five years. Like, it's not as as one hundred percent of my income. So, like, it's yeah. it's it, mm. you know, you have to you have to you've got to be, I've got to be doing something right because it's not it's not it's oh, not gosh, an yeah. easy thing to do. Like, it's no. not easy. Oh no, we should preface that it's not an easy thing to be a photographer at that sort of level. No. Yes, and so. like you said earlier, you know, it wasn't an overnight switch. You decided no. progressively yeah. that you were making more and more money from it. So you decided yeah. that obviously that was the point you were going. Yeah, my last I worked for Google. My, I worked for Google. My last job was a good job. Like for me to leave Google and become a full time photographer, like I wasn't doing that for twenty grand a year. Like I had to. There was there was points where I made that much money when I first started as a photographer, but the plan was always to not be at that point. And five years later, I'm not at that point. Do you know what I mean? Like it's like, yeah. And that's Fantastic. why I do that's why I do commercial work because commercial work is just 
way more valuable. I, I spoke about this on Instagram last night, how I don't even attempt to do portfolio shoots or fashion work, really, in terms of models paying me, because the money's so low that it's not worth my time. Yeah. Like, it's not, it's not literally worth my time making boards, communicating with models, shooting models for, for a £200 shoot, not compared to what I could make in, 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 other, in other forms of photography. So that's why it's almost my hobby, because this way I earn all of my money doing commercial work, which allows me to shoot the kind of models I want to shoot on the kind of shoots that I want to do and not have to worry about anyone apart from me, really, which is my nice little kind of creative outfit. Um, yeah, which is good. Okay, okay. Brilliant. Uh, Billy, do you want to lead in with your first question? Yes, uh, it's, it's two bits. But, um, so what was your what is your editing process and what do you use and do you tether while you're yeah, shooting? Cool. So I use a Mac and I use Lightroom. 99% of the time like so I do have Photoshop but it's I I barely ever edit anything in Photoshop apart from like cropping and making things in Photoshop like if you go on my Instagram you'll see that I put backgrounds of photos and stuff I do that in Photoshop yeah but in terms of editing photographs I use um, Lightroom for nearly everything and then I have a kind of I don't think you can even download it anymore it's like an old Mac app that has loads of like presets in it and I use that for black and white conversions because it's actually really good for black and white conversions but I'll use oh, okay. Lightroom nearly exclusively to do all of my editing. I've got um, presets that I've built over the years. Um, I've got a few base presets that I use most of the time, which I'll kind of use those and I'll kind of I'll move away from them depending on the photo shoot. You have randomly named ones. Yeah, I so think. all of my presets are, are named after the shoot where I first made them. So my two biggest ah. my two biggest presets shoot presets are called Molly Ring Light No Grain because I've got because <laughs> I've got because I've got Molly Ring Light with Grain, which is like the other version of it, and Laura Bedroom. Like those are my two like because when I make a preset, I call it what it, what I'm doing. So look, that's what yeah. I do, and then, and then I try to think about yeah. it. I think it's quite hard to make a preset that works across everything. Like I've seen that you can buy them, and I personally haven't. Me too. I've, I've yeah. downloaded some yeah. free ones, but um, I think making a preset, the lighting changes no matter what you're doing, and then you couldn't put that on from yeah. location. So else, and the colors yeah. are different. I changed. I think particularly. Particularly with um, portraits, it's quite hard to use generic presets that you apply to lots of things. But like you say, yeah. there I mean, is a starting use, point. Yeah. yeah, I use Laura Room and Molly Grain for probably 90% of what I do as a starting point. And it's not like I deviate too far from that starting point. So I do use yeah. quite a you know, uniform preset, which kind of gets a bit boring in a way sometimes. Like I mean, It's one of the things I'm kind of I'm trying to improve in terms of not just falling back on the usual kind of editing style that I do. Because I just, edit, I just, you've got to remember, I take so many photos, I usually, not at the moment, but I take so many photos that it's like a production line. Like, I, like so it's like, <laughs> it's like I could take 10,000 photographs a week, every single week, do you know what I mean? So it's like, I haven't got time when I'm editing, especially when I'm doing like client work, to like, to be faffing around, you know? A lot of times I'll do an event, yeah. I'll get home at 11 p.m. And they, I need those photos need to be within by 9 a.m., do you know what I mean? So I have fast turnaround, you know, if I talk about workflow, I'll talk about this, but I have quick ways of getting things done. Um, but I think people, yeah, you, know, you, you find this, people find their kind of, you know, you start out as a photographer, you start doing everything, you're doing all sorts of crazy different things. And over time, you refine them, you know what I mean? You start finding what works for you and you do less and less of that kind of like wild variations. Like you just do slight tweaks. Um, and that's what I do. Um, tethering, no. Um, which is, and I, I deliberately don't tether, which is quite unusual in my world. So I did a job recently, a big job down in London for a commercial client. So I'm talking like 15 people on set, art directors, everything. And usually you'd be expected to tether on those kind of jobs. Yeah. And I basically said to them, no, I don't tether on purpose. And I explained to them why, because 
my style of photography is that I take a absolute shell load of photographs. Like I can take 2,000, 3,000 photographs on a shoot. And I do that knowing that 80% of them are going to be garbage. It's just the way I shoot. It's hard to explain. I do it on purpose. And I find that when models or art directors or whatever look at my photographs tethered because of the way I shoot, they can get like a false reading basically on how the shoot's going because I'm shooting bad photos, if you know what I mean. And a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times models will look at them and they won't like like how they look. There'll be something. I'm like, that's not how the photo will look. You know what I mean? That's how I'm shooting it right now. It will look different. So You're giving a false negative too early yeah. on, yeah. So I don't like people looking at my shots because at the end of the day, and this sounds like ego, but you also need to have an ego to do this, is that I know what I'm doing and you don't. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I'm a professional yeah. photographer. You're paying me tons of money to do the shoot. Like, exactly, Let yeah. me do what I'm doing. Do you know what I mean? Like, your hairdresser doesn't pull out the mirror like 15 times drawing that hairdresser. In the <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's They're true, yeah. They do it at the end, you know? So it's like, just trust me. I know what I'm doing. Do you like this bit here? That bit yeah. there? <laughs> which is why, yeah, which is why communication is so important because before the, before the shoot, I need to communicate. I need to get the brief. I need to be absolutely certain what that client wants, basically. Yeah. But then I can deliver it. Um, I, don't, we'll I, I, I just don't like people looking over my shoulder, basically. And and when you tether as well with models, you know, you've got them looking at the screen all the time. Oh, I don't like the way I look on that. Or photographing the screen and stuff. I just don't want it. Like it's, it's. I just, I just, so I deliberately. Don't I guess do you it. got like two Venn diagrams, of, like of an overlap for the sorts of people that would particularly like to use tethering. And I'm not saying I'm putting Billy into that. Obviously, she's starting to smile. I can see. Um, but I, I think I think everyone has a general use for tethering, and yeah. I think it really comes down to general, like for you, like you yeah. you you put yourself in your own focus mode, and your, yeah. that focus is to be untouched because yeah. you know what you're doing. Yeah. And if you're being paid X amount of money, why why should anyone have an opinion? I mean, it's at just, least it's up to free. me. It's up to you. It's like when I say what I do, that's not me saying what you should do. Like I just don't like. No, no, no. Like if, yeah. I, I totally understand why people tell that. It makes perfect sense. It's just for me, I don't like doing it. But for most people, they, you know, it's, it's a good thing to do, and it does have value. If I could tether and have, and only me can see the laptop, that'd be useful. But the problem is, is that yeah. that's not the way it works. People want to look at it all the time. Um, but you know, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's something I might try in future again. But at the moment, it's not something that. And then again, the problem is with Lightroom integration when it comes to tethering. It's crap. Like you need to use Capture One and all that. And, Capture one, I've you know I've had a play on it, but I've never really got into it. it you know. Yeah, Billy's had issues before, haven't you, with tethering? Yeah, like, I feel like it's just Lightroom's just the yeah. dip. But um, <laughs> I I say to people all the time, like models and stuff, and uh, most people will be cringe when I say it, or they'll be like, "Oh, are you even a photographer if this is your thing?" I'm all in the editing, so like, I don't like certain yeah. colours. So like, I really am weird about greens. Yeah, I've got OCD, greens. so yeah. like. I'm really yeah, any, I've got OCD anyway, mm. so like I get emotional about stuff anyway. Don't look at the things behind me if you've got the video. Um, but, um, yeah, like, the giant green um, cactus that's behind you. And my, like, if you can see my walls, like green, greenish. Like okay. a few. Like a yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I don't like green. I like certain specific shades of green. I hate purple, stuff like that. And then um, I kind of like, I, you, you mess with the skin, my camera can be quite um, sensitive, picky. Uh. With, yeah. like it picks up yeah. everything like and i mean people take the piss out of the cameras that i have but <clears throat> you know the atd like it picks up mm -hmm. everything like if i take a picture of myself i i didn't even know a spot was coming but it, it's on the camera <laughs> yeah. like yeah so so i'm all in the editing and when people see my photos i'm like oh leave me alone for a bit it's like it's all in the editing like, yeah. leave me alone I'll yeah i don't like being micromanaged so it's like i'm just i know what i'm doing like trust me and like, you know, I don't mind showing, you know, if someone wants to look at the back of the camera, like an art director wants to look at the back of the camera, I can show them, I give them a little glimpse of what's going on, but I just, I just don't look.
I think honestly that when you've got that when you've got that extra bit of problems with uh, tethering, you kind of ruin that sort of flow, and then there's more stopping and starting. Whereas, I mean, you're not it's you're not expecting to do it at speed while you're there because obviously you're trying to get good work. So like good work, you don't speed, otherwise you ruin it. So, but you, the idea is you you if you've got control of it, you know what you're doing. Like there's there's no point trying to say oh you can't do this right or that right. Well, what are you paying me for then? Like oh, you're paying. Your payment is validating that I'm good enough for what yeah. you want. I mean, you know, these people, these people's opinions are important. So I, I do care about them. It's just that you know, I don't want to get too deep on it. I just don't. It's just not something I do because the reasons I explained, and yeah. other people like doing it, and that's fine. And if I had a client who was like, "No, I absolutely require you to tether," and I'll tether. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. I, in the end of the day, I do what the client wants. But if it's up to me, I don't. I don't do it. Uh, it's just yeah. yeah it's yeah. not worth the time. Excellent. Okay, I think uh, after that first round of questions, we'll have a quick break because uh, in the six seconds that these guys will get, everyone will be able to go for a pee uh, <laughs> and uh, top up their drinks. So we'll be back with part two shortly. This episode is sponsored by Paradise Co. For t-shirts and beanie hats, visit paradiseco.uk and use the promo code GTS2020 to get 10% off. Welcome back to part two of the podcast. John, take it away, your second question. Fantastic. Okay, so um, I've spoken with you uh, quite some length over the past few months uh, about workflow and storage demands. And uh, we always have a bit of a back and forth about which hard drives you're buying and all sorts of other stuff. But um, you obviously have already mentioned in today's podcast that you take loads and loads of images on shoots. Um, So how are you going to keep on top of the hundreds if not thousands of terabytes um over the period of time that you're shooting with and i suppose more sort of in depth of that is do you keep everything or do you color load and then you know keep some back those sorts of things so yeah so yeah as i mentioned earlier like i can take you know in when i'm working at peak i can be taking over ten thousand photos a week you know, on an A7R2, so the massive files, plus a ton of 4K film. So, like, the amount of data I create is, 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 is a lot. So, I have a, you know, a very, you know, a big kind of workflow and storage solution. So, you don't need to do what I do. But at the same time, I do think, regardless of who you are as a photographer or what point on the journey you're in, it's worth getting into workflow. It's worth getting into cataloging your stuff because I go back to the first few years I was a photographer and it's not catalogued properly. And it's really hard for me to find those shoots and stuff. Like, so, it's worth getting like a system in place. So I don't delete anything ever, which is maybe a little bit crazy, but I just don't, it's almost like two, like my time is money and it takes time for me to like delete stuff. And I don't like deleting stuff because you never know when a client's going to come back and say, Oh, have you got more photos of this? Or I don't know. It's happened to be quite a lot of times where five years down the road, I'll go back and look at an old photo shoot and I'll see rules at the time. I didn't pay any attention to, I think, Oh, actually no, nowadays I can edit these and make these better. So my general principle is I always want the file in two places at all times. If it's not in two places at all times, it's not backed up. So I go from my SD card onto two external hard drives I've got. Um, They're both five terabyte hard drives and they're both literally just mirrors of each other, exactly the same. So that's my two backups. Um, And then from there, you know, I'll, you know, import into Lightroom. I don't want to go too in depth on this because I could spend ages going into this, but like, I'll pick out, I'll only import into Lightroom photos that I'll potentially work on. And then I'll work on those. Uh, once I've edited those, I'll export those and I'll keep those in a final edit folder, which is on my Dropbox. Uh, because A, that's good because it's, it's, again, it's another form of backup. 
but B, it's good, it's good for client delivery. And the reason I use Dropbox and not something like WeTransfer is because quite often, if, you're, if you do what I do, you'll get an email in a year's time saying, hey, um, can we have those photos again? We've lost them. And if I use WeTransfer, I've got to then go re-upload everything. Whereas with Dropbox, I can just send them a link nice and quickly. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, you know, and you know, you've asked if it's, you know, if it's different for the different work I do, not really. Like, every, like Bartley.photo and Tom Bartley has the same. I have different folders on my hard drives for my Tom Bartley work and my Bartley.photo work, but it's still the same process. It's still memory card, two hard drives. And the reason I use, and some people ask me, why don't you use like a RAID setup or something like that? The reason I use expand, um, external hard drives and I use smart previews in Lightroom is that I can basically take those on the move with me really easily and quickly and not have to, you know, if people say, oh, you can upload to the cloud and download them, but when I'm working with like, you know, 200 gigs worth of 4K film, like that's not viable, you know. So having you know expandable, expandable external hard drives makes my life easier. Um, yeah. yeah. And storage, to be honest. Mm. Yeah, I mean storage these days, to be fair, it's cheap. is cheap. Yeah. I mean, I mean, cheap is cheap is relative depending on your situation. But me yeah. as me as a professional photographer who makes my money from photography, like me spending you know 150 quid every three months on hard drives. Because that's roughly what I do. I get through. I get through ten terabytes of hard drives in every every four months, something like that. Um, it's not. It's not. Um, it's not. It's not anywhere near my biggest expense. Um, mm. And yeah, I'm, and again, like, just because that's the way that I do it doesn't mean that's the way that you should do it. But I think everyone should be backing up their files. And when I say backing up the files, I mean onto two drives. Because if you got it backed up onto one, you know, a backup on one drive isn't a backup. Because if that breaks, it's gone. And also just getting into cataloging, like that's super important. So, so, so for me, every single photo shoot that I do has the name of the photo shoot and then the date I was take, taken on it. And when I use Lightroom, like I use, my, I use the same Lightroom system to pick photos for five years. It doesn't matter what you do, it just matters if it's consistent. So you can go back for, through the years and you can always find what you're looking for. Um, you know, same with metadata and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I wish, I wish I did that earlier, you know, because I say my work from like 2015 and stuff is, is much harder to kind of find than... Um, it's interesting as well because um, when I was trying to decide what uh, lens I should buy when I went to full frame and when I first started buying more lenses, one of the first things that I did because I use Lightroom and I catalog quite extensively, mm. I immediately looked for what focal length I'd used more of <laughs> and I could easily yeah. see. Um, so I knew that about, well, at the time, 35 mil on a crop sensor, about 50-ish mil on a full frame. That was yeah. my preferred focal length. Yeah. So at that point, I knew my first prime on my on my full frame was going to be a fifty-five. So yeah, I loved I love data. Like earlier when I spoke about the percentage of my earnings, like I love having data because I can use that data to like to to inform you know what I'm going to work on. You know, like look at that data earlier with my earnings. I can then I could go oh if I wanted to do a marketing campaign, I should focus on you know I can do all sorts. It's worth knowing what you do. And it's mm. interesting you speak about gear because we haven't really spoke about that, but. Yeah, in Bartley.photo world, I use my 55mm lens like 95% of the time, probably. Um, and then in the event world, it's split between 85, 55, and a 28. Um, but yeah, if I was just doing portrait photography, I would literally just use 50mm lens like all the time. I imagine, I imagine like, uh, as a good example would be like you and obviously Billy were both at the same event recently. So, I, and she was saying to us before we recorded uh, last in the studio, in well, John's studio, uh, was talking about, you know, the amount of aggressiveness you had to put into the lighting there like you really to get the right types of photos yeah my my quote was i was sitting there and i knew i was a photographer because all i could hear was your uh, yeah yeah and i was like how the fuck my camera wouldn't have survived that yeah i mean that's event photography i mean that's that was an because you were there it was a 
I was shooting an event and it was really dark. I mean, events are dark in general, but it was literally like one little green light was, was lighting the stage. So I was having to basically do long exposures at an event. And I don't want to go, I don't want really to, I don't want to go off topic, but event photography is one of the most difficult forms of photography that I do and why I enjoy it the most. I said I wouldn't touch it. Yeah, like, because, I'd be too, I mean, my camera wouldn't take yeah. it and I wouldn't even know. Yeah. What I mean, in terms of gear requirement, it's the strong, it's the highest. Like people talk about, does gear matter? And the answer is it depends what you do with the gear. That, yeah. Like when I'm shooting, when I'm exactly. shooting the pitch black dog, and I'm shooting moving subjects and yeah, gear matters. But, um, my camera yeah. wouldn't take it, and then I'd have to go into Photoshop, and you have to try and take out all the noise, and it just really wouldn't work out. Yeah, well. it, would, it, would, yeah. it just ends up being a nightmare. I like I like event photography for that reason. I like the challenge. I don't control the light. I don't control how much time I've got to shoot things. I don't control what I'm doing. I don't control the audience. I have to be sand in certain areas. Like I like having to adapt on the fly. It challenges your knowledge, doesn't yeah, it? It's, it's it's yeah, it's 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 much harder than um, portrait photography, but I enjoy it. Um, I, I enjoy that aspect of it. Fantastic. Okay, Josh. Good to have the challenge. Yes. Um, so, uh, how do you split your hours editing between your client's work and your Bartley photo work? Uh, so, do you set yourself a schedule? Uh, so, when you uh, get beyond the laptop or your monitor, wherever you end up being, uh, and do you it, to adapt with that? Do you use any uh, time management or uh, you know timekeeping apps, or just set yourself some hours? I know, obviously, you end up sometimes into the early morning. Obviously, as you say, you've got nine a.m. jet de like deadline. So how does that all kind of come together for you in the yeah. overall thing? So to split it, I mean, I, again, I wouldn't split it between my client work and my body photo work. I'll just say between paid work and non-paid work. So I get paid body photo okay. work. So paid work obviously has, takes priority over anything that's unpaid. So also, so how do I split my time? So it, it, it depends again. So event work in general is super time focused. So with event photography, I'm often sending them edited photos during the event. Like I'm literally like shooting an event, they're having a break. I'm going, I'm jumping, jumping on my laptop, and I'm sending them like ten photos edited that they can upload to Twitter while that event is happening. Like that's how fast the turnaround can be on events. Mm. Progressive, yeah. In general, even though clients don't usually ask for it, I nearly always deliver event photography by the next day because event photography yeah. is so time specific that every single day you go away from that event, the photography becomes less relevant because people don't care. The memory's gone. Yeah. Also, yeah. if I'm shooting with other event photographers, which happens quite often at big events, so there's like four of us shooting, like I want to be the first person to get those photos to press almost <laughs> because they're the ones that like, you know, that, that get seen. And that's why if you go look at me, for example, when I shot Birmingham Design Festival and there's three other photographers, like I'm literally editing those photos during the festival, tweeting them and they're tweeting them out. And all of those people who are at that event are then seeing my photographs and mm -hmm. it's good marketing for me. So event photography is the fastest. Like that is like I have to literally get home and edit it straight away. Um, luckily, it's also one of the easiest to edit because you basically don't do much of event photography. You take it, you shoot it. I put a little bit of a preset on adjust the lighting, but I'm not doing complicated edits on event photography. Yeah, you're so not doing goes, any skin yeah. toning or anything like that, are you? Yeah, yeah, but in general, you know, with client work, it's, you know, I might come back to this later, but speed is one of the most important things in terms of in terms of working for commercial clients. They want those photographs, like you know, when they want them. So that yeah. they go quick on them. With like test shoots and body dot photo shoots, that really depends because a, it's not, it doesn't matter really how long it takes me, um, and b, they also take the longest amount of time, and they, I mean, the least they can do. Because I'll take, you know, if I've shot two thousand fashion images, I quite often send like one fifty, two hundred of them. So I can take between, you know, some shoots I'll love, and I'm like really excited to edit them, and I'll edit them in like a day. Other times I'll take like two weeks to send photos to a model. I don't like mm -hmm. to anything taking longer than two weeks, really. Um, 
it's always a stigma, uh, isn't it, around that? A lot of a lot of photographers yeah. like say you should always be pungent, uh, not pungent, not pungent. That's not the right word. Um, you should be um, <laughs> you should be time con- time time constraint. Uh, there's always a, should be a time constraint on like how long do you do it. The word you're looking for is punctual. Punctual. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. It's just a matter of respect. It's a matter of setting expectations. So when I shoot with a model, I'll tell her. You know, usually it's like. You know, I'll send you all of the photos via Dropbox. It'll probably take around two weeks, but I'm more than likely to send you a few previews as I go along. So, you know, as I'm editing, I'll, you know, as I'm editing, I'll send a few previews across and I'll just let them know, you know. Let's like, if you're going to be late, just tell them you're going to be late. People get, people don't get angry about how long things take. They get angry because they don't know what's happening. So this is this applies to everything. This applies to people not paying invoices. It applies to everything. You just communicate well and let people know what they expect. You, you, you're good. keeping it consistent because the last thing you want to do is to give them an impression that will then spread on and give you a bad name, essentially, right? Yeah, exactly. And it always exceeds expectations, you know? Like, so if they think it's going to take a week and you deliver it in a day, then, you know, that's great. Um, yeah. But don't deliver things too quickly either to clients because if you deliver things too quickly, they think, oh, that was so easy for him to do. What did I pay him all that money for? <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to make it look like you actually have to put some effort in. There's always some but, stigma uh, behind the yeah. mindset, isn't there? Yeah. yeah. And you asked if I had a set schedule as well. Um, no. Um, and again, this is personal preference. Some people, and I'm not saying this is a good thing mm. because I think it, it, it might actually be better for my health and mental health if I kind of designated working time, but I don't, I don't, I just work when I work. And for that reason, I always feel like I'm never at work and always at work at the same time because like I'm always, I'll do a couple of hours and I'll stop and I do a couple of hours and I'll stop. Alert, line yeah. And some weeks, yeah. Yeah, and some weeks, you know, and, and, and being a freelancer is feast and famine. Like, some weeks I'm literally working 80 hours, and other weeks I'm working, like, five, you know? so It changes it just, it a lot, yeah. Depending, yeah, it just varies depending on what work I've got in. Um, but, yeah, so I obviously just prioritise things at a time, you know, that have time limits on them, and, you know, other stuff I just, you know. It's quite interesting to hear what people say, because, like, there's so many different professionals out there that, like, talk about the idea of keeping time management up and, you know, tracking yeah. the time. And I'm just like, well, it, as long as you're on top, if, if this is your full time job that you're working on and you're paying your taxes, if you're keeping on top of those, the, the time management can come later. Because as long as you're, you know, you're putting in that time, you don't need something to constantly tell you that you're putting that time in unless it's very much important. As I say, it just it just depends on what you want to do. Like when I talk about what I do, that is not me saying you should do this. That's saying what I do. Mm-hmm. Like some people love having timekeeping acts and daily task management and all that, and that's how they work, and that's great. You know, just me personally, I I've, I've never worked like that. I just I just kind of yeah, I just kind of like meander my way through life, getting it done. But uh, well, yeah. to be honest, like you say, it's it's different for everyone. Like I, I've I've thought about trying different things. Like for many years, a calendar didn't seem viable to me because I just didn't have enough to put on it. Now I have the podcast I do, I do you know, shoots, mm-hmm. I have some of my own family stuff on there as well. So it all becomes a, yeah. a more um, tangible thing that works as a general overall thing yeah. every week. To week. I, use a, I use a calendar for like bookings and appointments and stuff. Like I use that. I just like what I mean is like when I'm editing, basically, I don't have a set kind of like routine. Yeah, you know, it's, like it's good to it's have just, uh, something that actually makes sense. Like because for many years, like I say, I didn't have a calendar and that was something that really I was confused by, but like, because I've got a lot more to put on it, it probably just becomes the case that like I've got to that point now as an adult doing my day job, doing my weekend stuff. It just all seems to flow in a way that needs and you know there's a respect for a calendar use. So like for you, obviously you don't see the need for time management because you know you're going to put the time in. Like it's almost like contradicting your own mindset that you know you're working at. Yeah, I mean, I think if you work in a team, it makes more sense to have these kinds of processes in place so everyone mm. knows what level you're on because I work on my own. 
um, I don't need perks to of that anyone yeah. else. So I know what I know what I'm doing. So I just I just do my thing as I do it, um, and it works for me. So fair play, yeah. Okay, so next question over to you, Billy. Yes. So we did have a brief chat about this actually a second mm. ago. Um, where do you see yourself in five years? And obviously that can change quite quickly. Is from what we've said. This year has been a year, so yeah. really like. I mean, maybe have a realistic one and then have an unrealistic one. Like, I'll be president of the United <laughs> States. Five years. Yeah, so five years. I mean, the first thing I'd prefix this with is that don't get too hung up in this for people. They get really kind of like worried that they've set these goals and they haven't reached them and I'm a failure. I'm, I'm my like, life. Everything's falling apart. Like, a lot of my life, you know, as I said earlier, I, was a, I became an accidental photographer. If you'd said to me a year before I started working for Google, like this time next year I'm going to work for Google, I'd be like, "What? Like that doesn't make you know what I mean? Like it almost like yeah. almost like don't let your like goals and plans get in the way of taking opportunities that pop up." But that being said, like so you have a law degree in it, yeah, so exactly. Like, you know, I'm like I didn't have a plan to do this, but you know, to answer your question, in five years' time. I mean, I've been a photographer now for five years. So if I look back at my last five years and I think push you five years into the future, the last year or two is when it's re my business has gone from kind of, you know, a startup business into an established business that's making a considerable turnover and it's, and it's, it's strong, do you know what I mean? Like it feels, well, apart from current, you know, current events, it feels, you know, I feel happy. I feel happy with where my business is at. In five years' time, I just want to see that continue to grow and to continue to earn more money while working less. So that's a big thing that's happened to me in the last year or so. Like, I earned last year probably five times more money than I did in the first year of doing photography. I mean, more than that, probably 10 times more money last year. But I didn't work that much more. Like, the difference is, is that when I first started doing jobs as a photographer, I'll be doing jobs like £100 here, £150 there. Whereas last year, I was doing jobs for like £5,000 for a job. You know what I mean? Or my day. You're making more money, yeah. so that means that your, yeah. over, your overall income changes yeah. as you go on. So in five years' time, I want to be working like the same kind of level or less, but the, by average earnings per job is up, if you know what I mean, if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah. Like, so I watched a podcast with Matt Diavella, who's like a kind of, he has a YouTube channel about minimalism, and he was talking to someone, and he says that one day someone said to him, what would happen if you doubled your prices? And his answer was, I would lose half my work. And then he realized, well, cool, because then I'm working half as much and I'm earning just the same amount of money, <laughs> you know. And I actually learned a lot about pricing by, so one of my key things as a business is I never say no. I just price really highly if I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, learn, yes. you learn quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. So I had, I had a job last year and someone contacted me and they went, oh, we want you to go to Durham to film a video. And I didn't want to go to Durham to film a video. So I went back to them and I quoted them like multiple thousands of pounds to do this job, like thinking they'd, thinking they'd just say no. And they're like, yeah, cool. And I was like, shit, I just got to pay like, <laughs> I just got to pay like 4,000 pounds to make one video. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's like, like the easiest video in the world to make. And then yeah, I was like, yeah, you had to go to Durham. Yeah, I had to go to Durham. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I, went to, I went to the Lake District on the way back and made a holiday of it, so it wasn't too bad. But, um, but yeah, like you would be very surprised. Like one of the things, you know, people worry about is pricing. You'd be surprised how much people will, some people will pay, you know, depending on the job. But yeah, so in five years' time, I want my business to be secure. I want to actually have moved into my house, which I was meant to be doing in a few, <laughs> I was meant to be doing in a few weeks, but you know, and I want to have my client base nice and strong, nice and diversified. So I'm not relying on one or two people, I'm relying on a hundred people, which makes your business a lot safer. And that my average earnings per job is considerably higher. Um, it continues to go up. Um, I don't know about silly goals. I don't. I don't really have silly goals. I mean, what I'd like. Big, big yeah, goals. I mean, what I'd like to do alongside of that is just like do loads of really cool. To be in a financial position that enables me to do loads of really cool, fun photography, 
that I, that I, I can't do at the moment. Like, I'd love to be able to just take two weeks to go to Japan and do, you know, some photography over there or just shoot really cool models, really cool concepts. I don't know, but, you know, what's, what's nice is that in five years' time, I, want, I see myself with a camera in my hand, you know, which is nice. I'm yeah. doing a job right now. Well, that's good, isn't it? If, 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 if you're enjoying it now mm-hmm. and five years, five years later, you're confident in the fact that you're going to be having oh, the yeah. same, you know, same thoughts and feelings just on a different, I guess, yeah different level in terms of what you're doing for more money overall i guess yeah. i mean if i won the lottery yeah, tomorrow casual. i'd still be taking photos you know and that's nice you know not many people get to do what they love for a living so i'm very lucky yeah oh, i say i'm lucky i am lucky but i also worked hard to be able to do what i love for a living um, yeah you don't just you don't just put you don't just push yeah. push half of, you, half yeah. of yourself you push all yeah. of yourself yeah. like you spending those hours into the morning where like as you say you want to jump ahead of another photographer mm-hmm. for good reason because you you know that if someone sees your work first there's little chance that they're going to go to the next person behind that person. You want to be five steps ahead, not one step ahead. Okay. Uh, so um, let's circle back around to one of my questions and talk a little bit about um, maybe your top five things that you think people would need. And we've talked a little bit about not necessarily making the switch immediately to GoPro. And I think you've touched on a couple of the things you probably will say in this anyway. Mm. The five things people need to get right to consider yeah. a career pathway into photography yeah. as a business. Okay, so all right, at number five, like on the list, like so, the least important thing, and the thing that most people focus on, and it's the wrong thing to focus on, is skill at photography. <laughs> like, I can't like emphasize more like how bad general people's tastes are. Like, most of the businesses that hire me for photography, they kind of know what a good photography is, but they don't care what camera I'm using. They can't mm. even really tell a lot of the time. The difference between like a super excellent photograph that other photographers would think is amazing and just like a general average one like if you look at a lot of businesses and how bad their photography is it's because they're not photography critics so you do need to have a base level of skill and you know ability with a camera in order to be able to sell mm-hmm. your photography but that's but there's things that are more important than that in terms of being a pro and and mm-hmm. again this depends on on the field so if you're if you're talking about like shooting models that skill that skill factor is higher because people's people have a general understanding of the photography more but in in commercial work in events and stuff it's less so so things i think are more important is your communication skills like communication skills are just so important the way you talk to clients you know how easy you are to work with how quickly you reply to them like how much they enjoy working with you like people don't want to hire someone they don't like if you're a prick to your clients it don't matter how good you are but they just don't want to deal with you so you need to be nice you know you need to those clients need to like you and that communication skill it depends on who you are like my entire business ethos is that when i chat to people on email i'm like hey how's it going i'm sending gifts i'm, I'm keeping it really light-hearted almost non-professional yeah. on purpose because my business identity is that kind of like i'm just tom bartley i'm really easy to work with it's all nice and chill it's not formal and some people don't like that but a lot of people do um, but it's finding that kind of like community style that suits you and just kind of staying true to it um, mm-hmm. And then I, was... I think everyone's approach is very different when it comes to the, their sales attitudes. Like, I think you can't, you cannot be a photographer if you've got a bad attitude. There's, there's just no way it's going to happen. But like, some people are, are more, you know, gifts, you know, kind of like happy, kind of that kind of, yeah, I guess, chill respect. And then there are some who try and keep it professional because they don't want to endanger their, I guess, their their ethos of like like favoritism potentially. I mean, but yeah. obviously, there's, no, there's there's nothing saying what you're saying there is that. Yeah. You don't care about that sort of thing. You you just care about being good with that person, whether they're a 
you know, a, a paying client or even just a friend model yeah. that you shoot. Yeah, communication. So, like, if you ask me, like, what am I, you know, like, what do I look for in a model? Like, communication is so important. Like, if I'm messaging a model and then she replies two days later, like, I just can't be bothered. Like, if I, you know, yeah. it's like just being able to chat and talk and go through mood boards and 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 be, you know, my next point is reliability. You know, being reliable is so important. So yeah, my my, my third thing would be reliability. Like, if I can't hire someone and they can't hire me if I'm not one million percent reliable. And this goes, this gets really, this goes up a lot once you start working at the high end. Like, you know, I was shooting a um, event for BCU, the university, and they had the editor of the HuffPost coming over from New York. For, and, you know, and, I, and I had to like photograph all this. And I had like five minutes to interview her on camera. And if I'm not like right. one million percent reliable, like I can't shoot that again. She's back in New York. Like I need to be, I need to turn up to every single job on time never mess up, never lose a memory card, never deliver photos, like, ever. Like, I literally can't remember a single time that I have turned up late or not delivered photography on time to a client, ever. Like, I am so, mm. so, 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 so heavy on being super reliable and professional. Like, it's so important. Like, it's I can't hammer home how important that is. Mm. I know that drives you mad as well, doesn't it, when it's the flip side, when other yeah. people are unreliable to you, Absolutely. you get it's proper raged. Yeah, it's why I hate... It's why I hate bodies. It's why I hate models sometimes because they're some of the most unreliable people on the planet. Like, obviously, I'm talking in general terms, but because I put so much, you know, so much professionalism into what I do, like I'm still fun and I have a laugh and stuff. But you know, if I say I'm going to be there, I'm going to be there. I'm going to do the shoot. You got to be serious about it. You can't yeah. always be laughy and jokey about it because otherwise, then you give the impression that you're a pushover. Yeah, and it's like you know, I say to models all the time that like, you know, you can be the world's best model. But if I'm doing a job where I need to hire models for a job and a client's paying me, if there's any, if there's even an inkling of slight unreliability, I just can't hire you no matter how good you are because I can't risk you not turning up because that reflects on my reliability. So like, yeah. if you're a model, like you need to be a super professional because you're the ones who people are going to be confident hiring. And a lot of times when other photographers ask me about models, you know, oh, what's this person like you work with? Her? I need a, I need her for a job. You know. If they if they if they if they were late or something or if they were unreliable, then that's what you know that's what they're going to hear, and then it's going to be like, well, I'm not hiring her, you know. So fuck him. Yeah. Um, so reliability is super important, um, and then above that, I've got speed. I spoke about that earlier. Like it's underestimated how important speed is. Like a lot of clients, they need those. They don't want an artist who's going to take six weeks delivering them four photos. <laughs> they need that. You know, you you know, I don't see myself as an artist. I'm not an artist. I'm a cameraman. I'm a, a creator product, and. Um, I need to be able to turn around that product and get it into the client's hands so they can use it effectively in a, in a, in a reasonable time scale. So yeah. my, my, and I work with a lot of photographers who, who do come from an art background and they really struggle with speed and, and then that kind of ability. That's more important again in like commercial and event work, but super important. And then my number one thing I've got down is, um, is contacts and networking. So the vast majority of my work comes from, people I know or people who recommending me, you know, it's not often someone just Googles me and finds me and hires yeah. me for a job. Word so, of mouth. Yeah. So, and again, this, this, all of the things below add into this. So I need to make myself a person who other people recommend, you know, that's how my business grows. They, so they're not work, just individual things. Yeah. They're all things that need to be obviously yeah. all there together. Because I could trick, I could trick a client into hiring me for a job, do a bad job and I'll, I'll get the money, but then they'll never recommend mm -hmm. me. They'll, they'll probably tell people not to work with me, but by doing, a really good job every single time and then being a kind of being a person that these people like and they want to see me succeed as well when they get asked you know if you recommend a photographer like all the time on twitter it's like, oh you should use tom you should use tom you should use tom and that grows over time to the point now in birmingham i'm quite well known in birmingham and like you know 
and I get, I get recommended quite a lot. And that's super important, managing those contacts, managing those networks, um, you know, making sure that people want to be, want to share you. And also maintaining those relationships with um, clients because quite often how a freelancer becomes, stays being a freelancer and has a successful business is having repeat clients. So yeah. once you have a client, you need to make sure that you don't just rest on your laurels and expect them to hire you forever. Because if you do a bad job, they'll just hire someone else. You need to make sure that once you're in, you stay in. You, know, you never give anybody an opportunity to come in your place. That's why everyone has a conscience. Yeah, that's why going on holiday is so horrible as a freelancer. Because if I go on holiday, and like I can't do a job, and they have to hire someone else in to, to cover me. Then who knows if I'm going to do that job again? Do you know what I mean? Like they might love that new person. Yeah. That must be quite hard as well, because obviously that means the 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 feeling of I can't go away. Because if they ring me and say I need yeah. you for a job now, yeah. and yeah. I'm not available, yeah, it's horrible. It's it's the, one of the worst things about being a freelancer that I that I worry about that all the time. And it, it does happen for me as a bit. I mean, I got a job a few weeks ago where they literally emailed me at half past eight in the morning and says, can you get to um, the job center by 10 a.m.? Because the mayor's coming and we need to photograph it. So I literally jumped out of bed and went and did the job an hour and a half later. Like, you know, Love so it. it's like you're always on call, you know what I mean? And my kind of work as well, it's quite often that someone will say, can you do this job in three days time? So if I look at my calendar, my calendar for May can be empty. And I'm like, oh, I've got no work. But I know from doing this for a long time, but in general, people book me a week or two in advance. So, you, but you never, yeah. but yeah, that means you can't make long-term plans because you never know when you're going to, people go, oh, can you come do this in three weeks? I'm like, yeah, probably, but I don't know. It depends. So. But I guess in a way you kind of could relate it to the sort of fact that like, you don't know what your hours are going to be no. until literally minutes before the, yeah. like you say, you woke up and you had a message and you were there within hours. Yeah. I mean, this job's a lot easier to do for me as a single person who doesn't have a kid or anybody to rely on me because I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. You know, mm. you talk about how I see myself in five years' time. Well, this job would be a hell of a lot harder if I had like childcare responsibilities, things like that. Yeah. And it's one of the things people don't think about being a freelancer. It's really cool being a freelancer, but that lack of reliability when you work, not having sick pay, not having like you know pension contributions, not having any of that is is the real. It's not all rosy. Yeah. No, it's absolutely not all rosy. It's it's very stressful. Like I make what I, I earn, think people and that's forget it. that. Like if you're a YouTuber, for example, like that's one of the most. I would I would say. I think the idea of saying something's a difficult job is very is very polarizing. But the fact that the problem with a YouTuber is, what happens if YouTube goes away? You've got to have something stable to keep yourself running, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, like you constantly got you've got constantly looking behind you yeah. for what's next. I mean, I've worked nine to five and I've worked this, and I no doubt about it. I prefer this. Like in general, yeah. on balance, I enjoy doing what I do more than anything else. But that's not the same as saying it's all perfect and rosy. There are a lot of things about being a self-employed oh, yeah. person, especially a freelancer who works on my own. Like I'm completely isolated, you know. That, that are that aren't great but you know i don't know i've, I've, I've gone off topic but um but yeah um, no we get you yeah we get you okay uh josh do you want to lead on to your uh your next question yeah so what does the word photography mean to you so tell us your thoughts your feelings and how important is photography to you and additionally as an overall thing to society mm. so to me it's important because it puts mm. the bread and butter and kebabs on the bottom of the table, you know, the, the, uh, <laughs> and the curries as well. Yeah, so, I mean, so, I mean, you know, I love photography, like, even though it wasn't something I do when I was younger, it's my job, it's my hobby, it's the way that I meet people, it's opened up doors and opportunities to everything in my life, like, it's the, it's the core of what I do, and I love doing it, and in terms of importance, I think there is value to photography, like, in some forms. So I do a lot of work for events and charities and things like that. And I'm helping them tell their story that enables them to improve their businesses, improve their charities and, and, and grow. And that has value. At the same time, photography also causes a lot of problems. So mm. 
you know, so we talk about Bartley.photo, which is what most people know me as. I believe that the work that I do on Bartley.photo and the work that other people who do similar things to me has a net negative effect on society. I'm not one of these people who lies to myself and pretends that what I do is good for society. It's not. I, I believe that that, that that account existing is not good for society. Mm. Um, I it's think good for your pl- your your, yeah. your enjoyment. It's myself. It's my selfishness. You know, like I'm not going to pretend about it. I think that I work with a lot of yeah. models, and on an individual level, I work with models, and they come to me, and they have a really good time. They walk out feeling really great about themselves. I have messages all the time from models saying, "Oh my god, like that that shoot made me feel so good. I feel great." And they they personally will feel great, and I'll feel great. But 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 then there's also all those people who are looking at those photos, all those women who are looking at those photos, who are, those photos are making them feel shit about themselves. Um, so I don't feel comfortable being part of that, um, and it's 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 it, I do wrestle I do wrestle with it because I really enjoy shooting that work, and it's one of, and I feel like it's some of the best work I produce in terms of quality is the work that I do on Bartley mm. Photo. But at the same time, it's a shame I, I don't I don't hide plagiarise you. They 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 in a, in a way they directly like you do I I, I have to say your your work is is some of the most polarizing that I do see on my Instagram. And at the same time, I think, well, I don't give a shit what someone else thinks because I like it. And if I like it, that's a good thing for you. But it's generally, it's a good thing. It's not saying, I'm not validating anything by saying that I like it. It's liking something and validating it can be two different things. You can like someone's opinion, but you don't have to fully agree with it, essentially. Yeah. It's that kind of mentality, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's like, you know, it's just, it's, so what you saying about, you know, effects of society on photography on society. You know, photography does a lot of good stuff. And it's not just fashion work. I've, I have a lot of trouble with um, street photography. I think that a lot of people I speak to, they don't want to be photographed in on, on the street walking around when they're in Birmingham and put on a fucking blog. Do you know what I mean? And a lot of people act as if like because it's an artistic pursuit that that's okay. And I don't believe it is. Like a lot of people don't mm. like it. And I'll go back to old school photography that actually has historical importance and value and use that to justify them just photographing a homeless person sat on the street in Birmingham, which to me is very to me is exploitative and I hate that as well. So yeah, I I think um, I remember chatting to someone uh, within the Igers Birmingham crew yeah. ages ago, um, and they were talking about how somebody had taken a photo of somebody. I think they were sat in a cafe or a coffee shop or something, yeah. and um, the woman looked unhappy. Let's yeah, just sure. say that you know she looked really unhappy, and not because she was having a photo took. She was obviously going through a very tough part of her life at that moment, yeah, sure. and she obviously found that photo online, or somebody oh, knew her found that photo, and they mm-hmm. there was a big argument. I think over you know she wanted it taken down, and that yeah. person was going, "Well, no, no, it's my art." My well, see, art. At that like, point, that's ridiculous because it, yeah. you know it shouldn't be. You know, so it's not a matter of legality. Because I, I've got a law background. I know from a law perspective, like he doesn't have to take that down. From a no. moral perspective, I'm just not being an arsehole, take the photo. Yep. Down, you know I mean? Exactly. And, if uh, it makes, yeah. if it makes someone feel uncomfortable, then yep. if that person is the subject matter that's then feeling uncomfortable, that shouldn't be made public. Yeah, for sure. And you go back in history, and this this isn't this isn't a new argument. You can go back at some of the most famous photographs of history of people being like shot in the head. You know that Vietnamese child running away naked from a napalm explosion and stuff. And you could argue between the fact that that person didn't give permission yeah. for that photo to be online, but that photo has had historical significance, which has affected the consciousness and the way people think about the world. Mm-hmm. But yeah. most people we know who are walking around Birmingham photographing like a, a, a kid in a park is not, they're not that, do you know what I mean? So the mm-hmm. world's changed quite a lot. So I think basically everyone should have some kind of at least consciousness about what they're doing 
and self-awareness of what they're doing and the impact it has. Um, not that, 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 that doesn't mean that doesn't mean you should stop doing it. Like I, I do mm. Bartley.photo, but I'm but I'm not a moron. Like I'm aware that it has it does have negative impacts on society. It has positive ones as well, but it also has negative ones. And I think just some self-reflection sometimes and looking at yourself and thinking what do I do and what value does it have is worth doing. And not just pretending that everything you do is like is is you you're blessing the universe with your, <laughs> with your shit photo. Do you know what I mean? Honestly, you're, you're not walking around with with you know the the constant feeling that no one is 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 questioning what you do because if if people don't question people and hold people accountable, then things don't change in general. And yeah. photography is I've always said I've always said this to a lot of people that photography isn't just what you want to do. It's what what it's what you want to project to show people. You're not just taking a photo with somebody for the reason that you want to just do it. It's it's for like a memory or it could like you say with those photos of different times of life. You know, there's ones where people have uh, the photos of people in like wartime when like a like a husband and wife are gonna be separated. They take a photo of them having, you know, a quick peck, let's be honest. Uh because mm. they don't know when they're gonna see each other again. But that kind of illustrates a moment in time that maybe these days wouldn't be the same, I guess. Yeah. So there's a very uh, yeah, much- I mean, at the end of the day, it's just all, all, all the only point I'm trying to get across is that do what you want, but just be conscious of what you're doing. Do you know what I mean? And um, and don't just think that everything you do is like fucking wonderful for the world just because you think yeah. you're great at photography. And I'm so amazing at photography, but everything I do is a blessing. Like just have exactly. some awareness of what you're producing and the effect it might have on people. That's it. Yeah. Great. So. Right then, Bill, come on. Go on, Bills. <laughs> Um, before I move on to my question, real quick, super one-second quote of what you said. I think that mm-hmm. Art New can be really empowering when it's done the right way. I think when old white men are fucking sitting there taking disgusting photos of people against their will, and most people do not go into it with that intention, and then posting it all over Instagram Thank and you. calling it photography is dutty. Yeah. As a feminist, yeah, it's dutty, but it can be really empowering when done right. You do it right. You do yeah, it right. And I'm, I'm big on that. So I create, to go back to that, I create sexy photography. Yeah? Like my photography is hot, it's sexy. But I'm very big on making the models look like they're the fucking bosses. Do you know what I mean? But I want those girls in my photographs to look like I'm fucking hot as fuck. And I want everyone to like know it. Do you know what I mean? I'm not one of these like purple port photographers, and I'm quite happy to say purple port. Because purple port, yeah. Purple port is yeah. like a hive of villainy, in my opinion. Like it's just a disgusting stain on our industry. Um, that will annoy a few people, but it is. Um, you know, like I want the girls in my photographs to look hot, and I want men and women to look at those photographs and be like, "Yo, man, she looks like fit in these photographs." And I want those women who are posing for me to be in control of what they're doing, and that's important. And that's a big difference between someone who shoots like me and usually like a you know a, a lesser quality photographer who's just shooting like shitty. Yeah, like we do boots at work just, yeah. sometimes, and yeah. I didn't think it was something that I wanted to do, but I've had quite a few people yeah. like breast cancer survivors and people that have just gone through really horrible divorces. Yeah. You know, and just yeah. want to feel really good about themselves you know yeah big time yeah as i said to people feeling good about themselves is one of the best reasons yeah. to do it and again to circle to circle back a little bit one of my key styles in my photography is that i very rarely tell models what to do in general so when i do a photo shoot i nearly always let them self-style yeah. do their own makeup come with their hottest version of themselves but they've decided that it's their hottest version of themselves not me saying like i want you to wear this this and this and you know, and dress them like a doll you know what i mean i just want them to bring the best version of themselves and then we get the best photos and i think that's why a lot of models like my work because when they look at the photos they they, they see themselves as opposed to like this like you know this made up like version of themselves that's not really there um and then you know and that, that I'm, I'm big on that yeah, so, yeah so, i hope yeah. that helps as as we've as billy said like 
it's it's a, a an old uh, white guys kind of thing that like you see, you see them at certain events like not to discriminate like there are genuinely really good photographers at you know older ages which aren't these profile kind of people but you can just tell them a mile away they yeah. they're just like you can just point them out in a group like not intentionally but you just you're not one of those people that want to be near them like not on purpose it just makes sense so yeah moving on swiftly um how mm. do you figure out how to price yourself briefly obviously i know it's like a pretty vague question but is there any point you can give yeah. people any tips or anything yeah it's one of the hardest things people that freelancers do because you never you price yourself too low and everyone devalues your work yeah. and the thing is would you go to a client if you price yourself low you're stuck because you can't go back next time and say, it's, I want five times more. And if you price it off too high, you'll lose the job. So me personally, I have a set methodology where I have three different pricing tiers, basically. Um, I have the mates rates and like super small charities, social organizations who genuinely don't have yeah. money rate. Yeah. So that's probably about like 20% of the time. And then I have my usual block rate, which is kind of like your normal kind of businesses. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, your everyday businesses. And then I have like the high end, right? So that's people that say for, like HSBC are hiring me, Aviva, you know, whatever, like, big, big companies yeah. that have tons of money. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, I base it on that. And then obviously I have to base that on how, many, how much time it's going to take me. And then at the high end, which is really complicated, which is I still struggle with, is licensing, which is something that most people don't really deal with unless they get to like really like, like, pro is that like website, billboard? It's how the photos are being used, basically. So, most people, when you start out, you charge a day rate. You basically charge your time. But later on, you don't charge for your time. You charge for what the photos are being used for. So, and that can be a difference of a huge amount of money. So that job I did recently, that one I mentioned earlier for Bodies Up Photo, that was being used for a US company on an international marketing campaign, which meant that I charge literally a lot, a lot, lot more than I would usually charge for a normal job, if you know what I mean. Like, and I'm, ta- I'm not talking like 50 pounds more. I'm talking thousands of pounds more. For the same job because they're using those photos around the world for a marketing campaign and those photos are being used as, as literally as part of a multi-million pound marketing campaign so the budgets are massive so but that's but that's more complicated that's at the high end um a base rate i should say to anyone who's doing freelance photography work is that you shouldn't really be doing anything for less than 200 pounds a day also that's the absolute bottom end and i believe if you go look at like the freelancers union or whatever it's called like they'll say roughly around that um you know, you're, you're, you're worth more, you're worth 200 pounds a day, if not more, especially for a business. But, um, but yeah, you, I mean, I try and try, try to be open as well with people, you know, if they're a charity or if they're a small company, just be like, what are your expectations? And like the be- the more of a kind of, this is where it comes back to communication networking, the more of that kind of open, friendly relationship you have with people, mm-hmm. people won't try and rip you off all the yeah. time. Cause I'll just say to you, I'll just say to people, I do jobs to people and I'm like, I'm like, can you do this job next Tuesday? And I'm like, yeah, just pay me what? I know you'll pay me fairly. Do you know what I mean? And like, because I've worked with these people for years and they will, you know, you can't do that all the time. But the more you're open with people, um, the better. But it is difficult. And then you've got to, you know, you've got to understand your worth. And this is, this is really hard. Like, what am I worth? Like, what I'm worth is different to what you're worth. You know, you might be worth more, you might be worth less. It's, it's a really difficult one. But the more you do it, the more you do it, you get used to it. So, you know, to, to, to get to throw out some random numbers out there, you know, if I'm doing a two to three hour event, I mean, it's going to be 400, 500 pounds. If I'm doing an all-day commercial shoot, it's going to be closer to a thousand pounds. If there's some kind of licensing fees that are big, you know, like it could be, it could be, it could be five. You do contracts. <laughs> like, um, it depends on the job. So I probably should do them more than I do. Yeah. 
Um, I try to avoid them in general, especially if I know the client, because I try to, as again, I try to keep things un- informal. Other people, would say other people always say I'm crazy for not having contracts. I've never really ran into a problem with contracts per se. I've run into problems with late invoicing, but, but contracts don't do a lot to sort that a lot of times. Um, but, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, from a legal perspective, because I've got a law background, I know that if I email a client and I say, I'm going to do this and this is the price and they agree to it, even though it's not a contract, that is legally enforceable. So, um, yeah. so even though I don't have a contract, if, if, it's, if it's done over email, I have the record and it's, um, it's, if I didn't have any problems, I could, I could enforce well, it. hopefully. I mean, it's rare that you come across big problems. I had my most recent model problem and that was an easy fix. But like, even I was like, I wish I'd done a contract now. But um, yeah. I think... I- yeah, it's, it's always easy in hindsight. You know, it's easy in hindsight. Um, I try to avoid it. I don't do contract when it comes to body photo stuff. A lot of people do model release forms and stuff. I don't. Yeah. I don't do it. I, yeah, maybe I should. I, I don't know. Um, Excellent. Okay, I think we'll take a break uh, and we'll come back for the final part of the Meet the Creator episode. Fancy your one-minute moment on the Get the Shot podcast? It's easy to send us a voice message. Just visit anchor.fm forward slash Get the Shot and click on the bit that says send a voice message. Welcome back to the final part of this Meet the Create special with Tom Bartley. And I'll lead in with my final question. So what is it that inspires your photography, Tom? Yeah, so again, I'll, I'll answer this as like, as like Tom Bartley and as Bartley's art photography, because it's kind of different. So my commercial work, I mean, that is, so I have my own style that I do but at the same time when I'm doing commercial work I'm shooting to a brief so like I have to kind of like bring the Tom Bartley-ness that they're paying me for but at the same time like listen to what they want and you know work on that and it's much more formulaic in terms of like what you know the inspiration might be they've sent me their brand guidelines that they're doing for their new business and I want photographs that match the tone of that brand guidelines if you know what I mean it's much more like businessy for Bartley.photo though that's 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 exactly just like pure me doing what I want um the first thing that kind of uh, inspires me is, is the model. Like it's like I'm literally model led. Like yeah. so, I don't I don't usually have an idea and then I'm like, oh, I want a model to do that idea. I do sometimes, um, but most of the time, I'll I'll see a model that I think is amazing and then that model will inspire yeah. me. Like her look, the way she, you know, the way she moves, the way she poses, what clothes she wears, like, like her energy. That's what inspires me a lot. Yeah. So like as I said earlier, like I always want to capture that model being as, as much as them as, as possible. So, you know, if I go and look at someone like uh, like Georgie Royer, who I shot recently, like she's got really kind of like cool looking, I mean, she's got like little fringe red hair and she wears loads of like street wear and stuff. So then that inspires the way I want to shoot her. So when I'm shooting on, on location, I want to shoot something that complements that kind of style. And then when I'm shooting her wearing her pants, like she's like, she's got so much fucking energy and so much attitude and shit. Like I want that to come through, do you know what I mean? Like, whereas if I go and shoot someone like Courtney, who's one of my favorite faces because she looks like fucking Angelina Jolie in the 1990s, <laughs> like her face is a complete different vibe to it. And I was one, and that inspires me to kind of like shoot her in a certain way and you know make her feel a lot more pretty and beautiful and really emphasize her features. So, like, my inspiration comes from the models and me wanting to kind of like do work that elevates them to their like maximum level. Do you, do you um, think, um, that your the things that inspire you in terms of the models then, does that then inspire the edit process that you go through with them? Yeah, it inspires everything. Like, it inspires everything that I do, you know? Like, even nowadays when I'm starting to, like, play around with photos and, like, use backgrounds and all that kind of stuff, like, again, like, it's, like, there's something about... It might be really subtle, but, like, it might just be something that, like, I feel like... like I don't want to get, like, too, like, prancy and artsy about it, but, like, if I feel a certain kind of, like, energy coming off the yeah. model, like, that affects, how I ed- that affects how I edit it and how I think about the photographs and stuff, and... 
Uh, and that's why I like shooting on such a diverse range of people. When I say diverse, I'm still shooting ridiculously good-looking people who, who fit into like a very small minority of society. So I don't mean diverse in that sense, but I mean diverse in terms of like their look and their energy. And then sort of that, like I get inspired by I get inspired by film a lot. When I say film, I don't mean film photography. I mean cinema. So like I watch I watch certain films and that really inspire me. So I watched like a lot of neo noir films at one point, and I really got into like that kind of like dark black and white British stuff. Like, and then I watched like that them. with these um, what's it called? What's it called? Uh, pa- the pa- palettes. Yeah, the yeah. yeah color yeah. palettes. So I I do think like that. So when I start when I watch Drive and I watched um, other films that have that kind of like really like neon feel to it. I wanted to create photographs that match that kind of that tone as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's really cool. Because that's yeah, but it's, it's funny, like but YouTube. Like most people would be like, "Oh yeah, I'm inspired by like YouTube videos." Yeah, but I'm just not. Like it's the thing. I don't even look. I don't even look at other photographers most of the time. I don't inspired like, by the like, people you work with, which is so yeah, like like yeah. Sometimes I see other photographers doing cool stuff, and I think that's cool. But that's but but then like, like it's not like I want to do. It's not like I want to do that. Like it's just like you know like. I just, yeah, I don't plan too much. I mean, I do. I, every shoot I do has a mood board. But again, the mood board, when I send a model a mood board, my mood boards aren't photos that show the kind of photos I want to take. They're photos that give a feel. Like, it's all about the vibe, do you know what I mean? So, like, I send them photos of, like, this certain, all of the photographs, they look completely different stylistically. And my phone and photographs won't look like those photographs. But all the photographs have a kind of, like, feel to it, do you know what I mean? It might be, like, gruesome, yeah. sexy, yeah, yeah. Like, whatever. Like, and it gives the models an idea and the kind of, like, feel that I'm going for, as opposed to, like, a prescriptive mood board that shows images I'm going to create. More of, like, an idea. Yeah, even more ethereal than that. Like, literally just kind of like a feeling, do you know what I mean? Like, the energy that I want from a shoot. Like, that's what I try to portray in my photographs. Like, you try and look at certain, my model photography, and I just, I want it. Like, and I deliberately take photographs that are, like, shit on purpose, which makes no sense. But, like, it, like I don't want things to be perfect. Like, if you look at my photographs, there's loads of things wrong with them all of the time. Like, I don't want beautifully lit things. I don't want everything to be perfect. Perfection can't always happen. Yeah, but it's not, it's, I'm not striving for it. I don't want, like, I, I find nothing more boring than, like, a perfectly lit studio photograph. Like, it's just so, it could be anybody's, do you know what I mean? Like, I could, just exactly. pick, up, I could just pick up digital camera magazine and just read the guide on how to take a photograph and just do that. Like, I just don't want to. Like, I want my photographs to feel like, like, something, like, you know what I mean? And that, might, and that might be, like, someone like Courtney, who's, like, in, in my opinion, like, a, the perfect face. And then I want, like, perfection, because that's the theme of her, because she's so perfect. Do you know what I mean? But then there's other people who don't have that, and I don't want that, and I want it to look gritty and raw. And it depends as well. Like the more sexy my photography is, the more that I make it gritty and raw, and I use bad lighting on purpose. You want to compliment whoever you're working with. Yeah, like you know, and and again, like I don't. This, this could say mean. I don't mean to say mean. Like if you've got a really, really, really good model, you can you can you can use all that perfect lighting. But if you've got a model that isn't that great, you can kind of hide that a little bit by like up in the stylisticness of the shoot and like making it grainy and using weird lights and stuff like so yeah you know and again when i shoot models like every model has things about them that are great and things that aren't as great you know so if a model's got an amazing ass like i'm gonna emphasize that ass and i'm gonna make it half answering my question to be fair that's sorry 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 no yeah like my question uh, was gonna be what do you look for in models that you're kind of carry carry on with your combo yeah yeah so i'm very picky on models how do you say no like, how do you say no to a model that messages you? Like, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll come back to that in a sec. No. But, but, but <laughs> picking models, you know, I probably get like, I get so many messages uh, from models, and I probably shoot like five percent of the people who message me or something. 
like um I, so the first thing i look for obviously is, is their look and i have a, i just want them but basically the thing i ask myself is if they were just wearing a plain black pair of underwear stood in a white studio mm. can they bring it do you know what i mean have they got the ability so it's basically i'm not looking for models that like require lots of stuff to make them good do you know what i mean i want them to be like good like just like just them as a human do you know what i mean just purely and then I'm looking at kind of like, you know, that their face is the most important thing. And then, you know, there's no getting around it, like their body and the way their body looks and the way they move. And then I look at like their vibe, do you know what I mean? Like a lot of times I'll see models who haven't even done that much work, but their selfies are almost like, yo man, this girl's fucking got some attitude, do you know what I mean? Like mm. you know, I can see in the selfies, like she's, she's just got something. And it's hard to put a finger on really. It's just, there's just something about them. I think they're cool, do you know what I mean? Like they're going to... They're going to bring it on camera. You don't look for them to glam up for you. you no, look for them to, when I shoot models, give you the opportunity to to give it to give a an overall view of who they are, not yeah. what they're the half the time, what they are presented as most yeah. of the time. Yeah, because nearly always I tell models just to wear really natural makeup and not anything. Empowerment. Too so, um, yeah, so I want them to be really cool. But then, like after that, I'm looking for someone who's really easy to work with, who's really easy to communicate with, who's really reliable. All of these things are super important because if I shoot, like, if a model cancels on me or it's a pain to work with, I'm just never going to work with them ever again. Yeah. Like, just ever. like I, just, I just haven't got the time. I just, I just, it doesn't matter how good you are. Like, if you're not reliable, I'm just not bothered. And so, then I suppose um, yeah. it's the flip side of that, that if they've let you down, then you obviously, if somebody says, I'm looking for a model, and you'd say, well, don't use her. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going out there actively bitching about people. No, no, no. But photographers, photographers speak to each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. And someone will say to me like, "Oh, what's this person like?" And I'll be like, "Oh, yeah, she's cool, but like, she'd be a pain in the ass to work with." Do you know what I mean? So, don't underestimate like how much that matters. You know, because it is really important. And the models, my favorite models, that I use time and time again, are not only physically amazing looking and are brilliant in front of camera and create amazing images. They're also people that I want to work with. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you look at people I work with multiple times, Molly. Isabel, Liliana, like Maria, like there's a certain models that I use a lot. It's because I I really enjoyed working with them, not just because they're great, but the camera just put. It's, it's not just business. It's, it's because you're very good friends with them as well, right? Yeah, and it's a bit, the flip coin of that is I know loads of people who are really nice people who I really get on with, but I just don't want to photograph because they're good models. Like it's it, you know you need you do need both, you know. A lot of times people a lot of times people say to me like yeah I don't think to be horrible. A lot of times people say to me why don't you shoot her? And I'm like oh, I don't think she's very good model. And they're like, oh, she's really nice. She's so nice. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure she's like, I'm not, me saying she's not a good model is no indication of her personality or what she's like. No, no. It's just, you you, you it see is. who someone is when you work with them. You don't, or you see you, what you see on their profile really helps you understand whether you want to be yeah. in communication yeah. with them yeah. as a general rule. Yeah. And the one thing I'd say to models who are potentially getting into the industry is it's a really horrible industry. And, and mm. and try not to let it bring you down because like I, I reject nearly everyone who messages me and it's not because you're a bad person or something it's nothing that you've done you just can't help you know i'm not a fucking model <laughs> do you know what i mean like uh, i could try as hard as i wanted i'm never going to be a model i'm five foot seven that's just the way it is you know we've like, seen your photo just... with the uh the black thing <clears throat> yeah i mean don't <laughs> that sounds weird but yeah don't get me wrong, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I'm, 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 I'm beautiful in every single way but i'm just a little bit too short you know otherwise obviously i would be a supermodel how i say no so I have a general kind of answer to no. I say something along the lines of, hey, thanks for getting in touch. Um, appreciate it. You like my work. Um, I'm afraid this isn't something I can do as a test. Um, and then I, that usually falls off. I used to say, I used to say, um, it's not something I can do as a test. If you'd like to book me for a shoot, give me a show so I can tell you about my rights. But now I don't even really bother doing portfolio shoots because it's not worth my yeah. time. So now I just basically say that. And sometimes people come back and, 
you know, the one mistake I used to fall into back in the day was saying something along the lines of, oh, no, I can't, I'm busy at the moment or something. Because then people come back and six months later and they go, oh, do you want to do it now? And you just, you, you haven't got rid of the problem. You just push it. You don't want to give them an in. You, so want to, you want to end it gracefully. Yeah. I don't want to be mean to people, but I don't want to lie to people. That's not preference. So it's just not like, because you're not going to want to work yeah. with everyone. Yeah, and you know, and most of the time, I'll, I, you know, I do have models message me. You know, like I've, I've, I've shot loads of models, but a lot of times I will reach out to models personally. And for photographers as well, I was quite surprised to hear how anxious a lot of photographers get about being rejected um, when asking yeah. models to shoot. I mean, my advice, my advice would be just, just get over it. I mean, like I, I get ignored by models all the time. <laughs> like I, I message hundreds of models. And loads of them say no or they don't reply to me. And that's just all part and parcel. At the end of the day, everyone, everyone yeah. has different yeah. places they are in terms of, without using yeah. the word fame, really. Yeah. Like, loosely saying, like, you might have a lot of people that are, like, yeah. in the higher digits that will follow you and they will come to you immediately. But then there are people yeah. who are either, even lower than you, potentially, and they're just like, well, yeah. I don't care. doesn't matter yeah. how good you are, kind of thing. Well, you'll, never, you'll, yeah, you'll never be happy. Because I know yeah. that there's, pe- there's people listening to this who would really love to be in my situation and be able to photograph the models I get to photograph. And then when you get there, the, I'm just here thinking, oh, I really want to photograph these models who are the next tier above me. There's always going to be people above you that you can't access what you yeah. want to shoot. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it just, you know, and the only advice I'd give is have confidence in yourself and send messages out to people. And if they say no, cool, but every now and again, someone will say yes. And the big mm. steps that I took in my Bartley.photo career was when models that I thought wouldn't say yes to me said yes. And I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've got this opportunity to shoot this really great yeah. model. And then you mm. do a good job with that. Because again, the same thing I said earlier about clients not really understanding how good photography is. A lot of time models, when they go onto your page, and this is, this is important because a lot of people mess this up, is... They, they don't look at like how good your photographs are. They look at the other models that you've shot with and that's what they care about, do you know what I mean? I know yeah. photographers who are really, really, really good, but they'll shoot shit models because they're their friends. They'll put them on their Instagram and then other models will look at their Instagram and they'll see these models that aren't very good and they'll be like, oh, I don't want to be part of that club. Do you know what I mean? So <laughs> if, you want to, if you want to increase the models you can shoot with, you've got to try and keep your consistency high. That's why like, I, I never personally like pay for models like it's not something i ever did when i was like coming up but if you wanted to take a, if you wanted to jump up the industry the best thing you could kind of do is hire four or five really good models photograph them do a good job and just bank that Isn't your portfolio literally what i said it. um yeah. what was it yeah. Like yeah. Isn't there an Instagrammer called Clinty that does that? He shoots with just one girl, right? I mean, once you one girl, you need to show range. But what I mean is, you need yeah, to maintain yeah. your, exactly. your, your model yeah. quality because once you once you shoot a certain caliber of model, all those other models who are in that same league, you know what I mean, like will want to shoot with you. And at the same time, like I do a lot of my test shoots directly from agencies now. So I'll go to an agency and I'll just be like, send me, you know, I want to do some tests, and I'll send me a, they'll send me like ten girls, and I'll pick who I want to shoot. Like the agencies won't even pay attention to you if you're not like you know if you're shooting some random person from around the corner like at a studio day like it's like it's going to come down to like who you've shot with like they it's, it, whether that's right or wrong most people are better judges of what a, of a person they are of photography quality if you know what i mean so yeah try and try and shoot yeah try and have confidence in yourself and don't be scared to reject people and try and shoot the best possible model if you can, you can shoot because that will make a massive difference in terms of it, re- it really does I've, I've run the meetup group and for one thing for certain I've had to grow a conscience and a backbone in saying to certain people that we don't not that we don't want you it's just like you're not someone that we're looking for like yeah. and that's and that's something that people always like will try and throw like a shit back at you for which I yeah. think is a whole other conversation 
Yeah, it's not a nice industry, yeah? Like, it's not a nice industry. If you, if, it's you, if, you, if, you're if you're a photographer, yeah, you're going to get to the point where those people that you shot with when you first started, who are really nice people, who, who, who did a lot to help you get to where you are now, you can't mm. continue to shoot with them because you've progressed beyond their level. And that's going to cause friction and it's going to cause potential arguments, but it's also, you know, a reality of it. So, yeah. Right. Okay, so we'll go yeah. to our, uh, our final question then. Uh, Josh, seeing as you haven't had a question... For yourself in this last round do you want to give the ultimate final question yeah sure uh i think we've actually all given it out to individual episodes so i guess it's my turn now ultimate travel question for you bartley any camera any lens any location and why and no budget or cost to you at all so it can be literally just just go for it you, there's no shackles yeah so like oh yeah you know straight away you think i'll take like you know a leica m and a noctilux 0.95 like you know two of the mm. most expensive cameras on the planet and then and shoot with that but reality in reality it's, i wouldn't really because I'd, I'd shoot with something that i kind of understood how to use because <laughs> if i'm going to get this dream photo shoot i don't want to learn how to use a camera so i would take a sony a7r4 i would take if i could only have one lens i'll take a 50 millimeter the uh i'd take a 50 because that's my go-to focal length if i had if i had all the lenses in the world i'd take a you know whatever i'd have, I'd have all the lenses in the bag and i'd go to japan i'd go around japan um and because japan is the one place i haven't been to but i've always wanted to go to so i do tokyo at night i'll do okinawa because that's where karate comes from when i used to teach karate i'll do like you know mount fuji and all that <laughs> yeah so i would that would what it would be yeah maybe maybe, maybe maybe me a bag full of sony stuff that i know how to use and i'd be in japan doing all sorts of stuff because it's the one place in the world where there's like so much variety in one country i can do landscapes i can do cityscapes i can do all sorts uh, yeah. would you would, would you an extension of that because obviously like i said we, obviously everyone's known here for the whole episode and in general we shoot with models obviously on bartley.photo mm -hmm. would you would you throw in the potential fact that like you could take a model or two of you and yeah. do shoot around i wouldn't take any i wouldn't take any with me <laughs> i would I'd, I'd go and get in an ideal money no object world i'll just hire loads of really sick japanese models that's what know? i mean yeah yeah, yeah like, i'd love to do that like i love like the style of japan like you know I would love to go to like um, Harajuku you know, Harry or something and shoot, you know, some kind of something to do with that. So, yeah, I wouldn't want to, but yeah, that'd be ideal. Sounds Just to hire a bunch of awesome Japanese models and do some fucking ace photo shoots. Yeah, that'd be cool. Sounds ace. Amazing. Yeah. Yes. Well, thank you very much for coming on, Bartley. We really, really appreciate it. No, I've really enjoyed it. I've said I've listened to you guys since the start and uh, I've always enjoyed listening to the podcast. So I'm glad I got to come on, even if it was virtually. Who knows? Maybe I'll come back in like two years' time physically or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, yeah, it's been, it's, been, it's, been, it's been fun. So yeah, it's been good. Yeah, Fantastic. you never know. So... You might be on as a guest host as just a general conversation episode because I think that is something yeah, that will work quite nicely because we can't always yeah. go back on the same meet the creator thing. But it's great. Sure. Yeah, me, John, and Billy were talking about like kicking you out and me just taking over. Like, How did I guess that was coming? <laughs> no, no, I do appreciate it. Right, I'm off. Bye bye. Thanks for the time. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so do you want to give people just a quick reminder of where they can find you on social media? Sure. So, my websites are tombartley.com. So, that's T H O M B A R T L E Y. And on Instagram, it's at tombartley. And bartley.photo, that's the website. And on Instagram, it's at bartley.photo. Fantastic. So you've been listening to the episode with Tom Bartley. I've been John Willis at JRE Willis. Billy at BHUK. And Josh Deakin at Mr. Josh Deakin. Until next time, bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. bye.